Greetings, Stationeers, and welcome back to the Revelation Station podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be reviewing the classic Steve Hackett live album, Tokyo Tapes, which was re-released as a limited edition white vinyl on June the 18th, 2022, for Record Store Day. It was originally released in 1998, and was reissued on CD and DVD in 2013, by Cherry Red Records and has just been released again on the Esoteric Records label. So if you've never heard of the Tokyo Tapes before, let's start at the beginning. It's a live album which documents two performances in, obviously, Tokyo, on the 16th and the 17th of December 1996. So in recent years, Steve's really leaned into releasing live albums of his Genesis Plus tours, but this was only his third live album. this special though is actually summed up by the promotional tagline. What would it sound like if occasional members of Genesis, King Crimson, Asia, Yes, Zappa and Weather Report all got together to form a unique team just for one night? I mean fair enough it was two nights but this album and these concerts featured a veritable supergroup of prog rock superstars. As well as Steve Hack himself there are musicians who've played extensively with Prog's finest. Let's take a look at them first. 
Perhaps the least well-known is Julian Colbeck on keyboards. Now, Julian had been a member of groups during the 1970s, including Genesis label mates Greep, uh, that's with a G, um, and he joined the New Seekers for a short while before joining the band Charlie from 1975 until he left in 1980, after their American record company refused to release their fifth album, Here Comes Trouble. Julian then spent a few years in the USA, almost starving, to quote his own words, before returning to the UK and touring Europe with veteran British pop rock star John Miles. In 1989, he joined Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, Howe on their world tour and collaborated with John Anderson on his Watching the Flags That Fly project, which was basically the proposed second ABWH album that wasn't released until 2006. It was also in 1989 that he began working with Steve Hackett, eventually appearing on 10 releases across the next seven years. This is where it gets interesting because during this concert in Tokyo, Julian had an epiphany. To quote his own words, I looked around stage and saw a bunch of old men, including, if not especially, me. He made the decision then and there to get out of live performance and has never returned to it since. He now works as a CEO of Keyfax New Media, a company which promotes MIDI samples. Or something, I don't know, I'm not a musician, I have no idea what it does. It's something to do with music and samples anyway. Ian MacDonald will be a familiar name to King Crimson fans, and he's not the only one. Ian sadly passed away on the 9th of February 2022 after a long and varied career. Most notably, Ian was introduced to Robert Fripp by his then-girlfriend, Julie Dybul, who was the singer with Fairport Convention. That led to Ian becoming a founding member of King Crimson, 
playing a memorable solo on 21st Century Schizoid Man. We have to lose that sax solo. And also contributing harpsichord, piano, organ, clarinet, zither, flute and mellotron to the album, as well as co-lead vocals on I Talk to the Wind. the band after the album was released due to internal conflicts, the first of many such departures for Crimson, and he formed a duo with drummer Michael Giles. He did have another stint with Crimson in 1974, playing on the album Red, the last 70s album from the band, which also featured John Wetton, about whom more later. Ian was very much in demand as a session musician, primarily for saxophone, notably playing on T-Rex's mega-hit Get It On. In 1976, he was a founding member of another classic rock band, Foreigner, in which he played guitar as well as woodwind and stayed with the group for three multi-platinum selling albums. As well as featuring on the Tokyo tapes, Ian also worked with Steve Hackett on his Genesis Revisited album, playing flute and sax on Los Endos.
familiar to Genesis fans, Chester Thompson contributes drums to this band. Chester played with Genesis from 1977 to 1992, rejoining them for the 2007 tour. At the time of these concerts, Genesis had moved on with Ray Wilson on vocals and Nia Zed as a touring drummer, leaving Chester free to pursue his own projects. He, like Ian MacDonald, also played on Genesis Revisited, contributing drums to three tracks. You'll be hearing more about Chester in a future episode. The path is clear, though no eyes can see The course laid down long before And so with thoughts and men The sheep remain inside their men Many times they see the final member of the band, and the second ex-Crimson man, is John Wetton. John Wetton was the John Mitchell of the 1970s and 80s, lending his talents to a multitude of successful prog bands, most notably King Crimson from 72 to 74, UK from 77 to 80, and again in 2011 to 2015, and of course Asia, the prog supergroup which he formed with Steve Howe, Carl Palmer and Jeff Downs, and fronted on and off throughout the 80s and 90s, and finally again between 2006 and 2017. Yeah. 
He also played with several other notable groups, including Family, Roxy Music, Uriah Heep and Wishbone Ash, as well as releasing several solo albums. He contributed vocals to two tracks on the Genesis Revisited album, Watcher of the Skies and Firth of Fifth, both of which are featured on this live release. He sadly passed away on the 31st of January 2017. So that's the players. What do they play? Well, if you're picking this up for the first time, you'll be treated to a mix of Steve Hackett, Genesis and other prog rock songs. Six of the 17 live tracks are Genesis songs, with one more sort of that as well. Blacklight is effectively a mix of several acoustic bits from Genesis and Steve's catalogue.
Seven more of the tracks are Steve Hackett solo, drawn from across his career up to that point. They're mostly instrumentals, but at least one has vocals from Steve, Vampire with a Healthy Appetite. Of course, that begs the question, why does Steve sing that when he has John Wetton right there? I'm not particularly a fan of that song, nor Steve's vocals on the studio version, and the live version here does nothing to change that opinion. In fact, Steve has chosen to play In That Quiet Earth as a separate piece, without then going into Afterglow. Vampire follows it instead, which is an odd choice, when John Wetton was right there. Who among us wouldn't want to hear John singing Afterglow? In 1974, John Wetton was at a loose end, having just had his group unexpectedly disbanded. He went on to form UK, but it is interesting to wonder what might have been had he decided instead to audition for Genesis. He certainly has the voice for it, but perhaps it would have been short-lived judging by his future endeavours. I can't imagine someone as strong in songwriting terms getting along so well with Tony Banks. Perhaps we'd have had a timeline where Tony left the group rather than Steve. But then Genesis almost certainly wouldn't have become as big as they were, and we might also have been denied Phil's solo career. No cheering at the back. Also of interest, from a non-Genesis fan point of view, are the versions of songs from John Wetton's career. Not only are we treated to King Crimson classics I Talk to the Wind and In the Court of the Crimson King...
grass remaining sun to satisfy the hopes. The yellow jester does not play, but gently pulls the strings and smiles as the puppet stands in the court of the crimson. Steve plays on brilliantly and we get a glimpse into another alternative timeline where Robert Fripp's insistence on Steve taking over the Crimson legacy, as revealed in Steve's autobiography, is approved by his management and record company. Both of these versions are faithful to the originals, albeit with John singing rather than Greg Lake, and show off Steve's versatility. We're also treated to one of John's solo tracks, Battle Lines, which is taken from his 1994 album of the same name, which was also known as Voicemail in Japan. performances are good and this recording is well produced and mixed. Although, I must say, the final live track, a version of I Know What I Like, is pretty terrible. Steve delivers the famous introductory spoken part in what's probably intended to be a humorous way, but comes across as just dumb. The band don't really gel together on this track as they have throughout the rest of the concert. I don't know what it is, but Steve has performed this song much, much better and it's almost as though this had to be included because it was played at the gigs and not for any other reason. I, quite frankly, would have left it off.
there are also three bonus studio tracks on this version of the album. Two of them are instrumentals. There's Firewall. is a driving rock track that sounds very much like it wants to be on the Miami Vice soundtrack. I actually really like it. It has an epic sound to it that Steve is particularly good at. It also wouldn't have sounded out of place on 1986's GTR record, perhaps called something like Hack It to the Core. Anyway, it's very good and a worthy bonus. Unlike the other two tracks, the next of which is The Dealer,
which also sounds like it wants to be part of Miami Vice Club. And it's obviously influenced by the late Jeff Beck. It's a bit of a funky guitar blues thing. Honestly, it's not that bad, but nowhere near as good as Firewall, and I don't think I'd miss it if it wasn't there. The original release of this album featured the Genesis revisited version of Los Endos, so you should be thankful that this version includes a studio recording of All Along the Watchtower instead. Actually, no you shouldn't, because it's terrible. The music's fine, very much in the Jimi Hendrix style, but John Wetton sings it as though he's never actually heard the song before, and someone gave him a copy of the lyrics, played him the instrumental once, and then threw him into the studio to record it. There are a lot of versions of this song. It's an undisputed classic. Although, I would argue that the Hendrix recording is definitive and everything else is unnecessary. This is not one of the classic versions. I'm sure it was a lot of fun to play in the studio, and according to the booklet, John and Steve played it live a few times too. But honestly, it's not much fun to listen to. Also included in the package is a DVD of the concert, but you'll have to keep an eye on our YouTube channel for that one. Um, a review of that will be coming sometime in the future when I finally get around to watching it. So is this re-release worth getting? Yes, absolutely. If you haven't already got it, this is worthwhile. The studio tracks are fine bonuses, and I know what I like aside, the live tracks are great to hear. It's a nicely balanced set which covers all the artists' careers. It's not quite as polished or as cohesive as some of Steve's more recent Genesis Plus live albums, in particular the Wind and Wuthering tour album, which was just excellent, but if you like Genesis, Steve's solo work, or even John Wetton, it's well worth your time. It's a good live album, just, you know, turn it off before the last track, yeah? You have been listening to the Revelation Station podcast from the Revelation Station. Produced, performed, directed and written by Simon Heldrick and Gary Starr, two men who should know better. 
You can email us at revelationstationpodcast at gmail.com, find us on Facebook at the Revelation Station Podcast, or head to our website, revelationstationpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this show, you can donate by searching for the Revelation Station at buymeacoffee.com or head to Patreon, where you'll find us at patreon.com slash revelationstationpodcast. There you can subscribe for £1 a month and receive podcasts a week early, as well as additional content and bonus episodes throughout the year. This has been a Revelation Station production.